1 Kings 18, beginning at verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your mighty one, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound, no one answered. Then they did their lame dance around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, Shout loudly, for he's a mighty one. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed out on them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. So as we begin today in verse 25, we see that Elijah suggests that the prophets of Baal go first in their contest, in the contest with them and Elijah. So they prepared their bull, they laid it on the altar, and verse 26 says that they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, and they said, Baal, answer us. Now morning until noon is a long time to call on the name of your mighty one. That's a lot of praying. Many words were said, but Baal never answered. Now at the end of verse 26, we read that they did their lame dance, at least in this translation, around the altar that they had made. It's kind of neat. I kind of like that. Lame dance. The Revised Standard Version says that they leaped about the altar. The English Standard Version says they limped around the altar. My newer HCSB, they've done some revisions on it, says that they danced hobbling around the altar that they had made. I like that hobbling because that's what the word means. What's interesting is the same word is used here in verse 26 as was used in verse 21 where Elijah says, How long will you hesitate? If you remember, I said that word means hobble in the Hebrew. One foot over here on Yahweh. Then they jump over here and got one foot over here on Baal. Then they hobble back over here for Yahweh for a little while. Well, that's the same word. Hesitate in verse 21 is the same word as their lame dance in verse 26. The word carries the meaning in Hebrew of somebody that limps because they're lame. And the Israelites had been limping or hobbling between Yahweh and Baal. And now the prophets of Baal do some kind of hobbling around their altar to Baal. But he still does not answer. We keep reading and we see that at noon, Elijah finally calls out to them and he says this. He says, shout loudly, for he's a mighty one. He's an Elohim. Elijah informs them that Baal is one of their Elohim. He's one of their mighty ones. So surely he'll answer if they just shout louder. Just make more noise. Get his attention. He'll answer. Elijah is mocking. He continues by saying maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. Of course, we know that Elijah is making fun of or being sarcastic to these prophets of Baal. That verse teaches us that sometimes that's what heathens need, is sarcasm from the righteous. Now, there are two schools of thought here. 
Some people believe that Baal is nothing but fiction. He's not real. He may be real in the minds of the prophets of Baal, but in reality he's no more than a figment of their imagination. That's one school of thought. Another view believes that Baal is real, but he's a false Elohim, he's a false mighty one. This view believes that the mighty ones of the heathens are all false mighty ones in the sense that they are not Yahweh, the one true Almighty, and they do not work for the good on His behalf, and that they are rather fallen angels or demons. This second view looks at verses like Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, which is the Passover chapter, where Yahweh says this, I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. That view sees that such a statement does not have force if the gods of Egypt are not real Elohim. How would Yahweh show His power by executing judgment against a piece of wood, stone, or metal? Or maybe Exodus 15 at the crossing of the Red Sea. There, Moses and the Israelites, they sang a song. And in verse 11 of Exodus 15... Part of that song says, Who is like you, Yahweh, among the gods, or the Elohim? In other words, there are other Elohim. But Yahweh is species unique. He is to be revered over and above all of the Elohim. I tend to go with the second view. Because of scriptures like the two that I just quoted, and there are many, many more, there are many gods or Elohim in the heavens. We call them angels but they are heavenly celestial beings as opposed to earthly terrestrial beings. In modern common English vernacular, we would say that they are gods. Created by Yahweh, yes, but a heavenly species as contrasted with earthly. Now some of these deities, some of these Elohim, have remained in service to Yahweh since the day that He created them. Others have fell in rebellion to Yahweh because they chose to go their own way rather than the way of righteousness. This means that when I read 1 Kings 18, and and you'll have to decide how you read 1 Kings 18. When I read 1 Kings 18, I see Baal as a real deity, a real Elohim, a real God that actually exists. And when I read about Elijah making remarks to Baal's prophets about shouting louder to wake Baal up, from a nap, I don't read that as Baal being fiction. I read that as Yahweh has the power to tie Baal's hands, so to speak. In other words, Baal can do things for people who serve him, but only if Yahweh permits him to do so. If you remember back with the plagues of Egypt, how that some of those plagues were able to be mimicked by the Egyptian sorcerers, who called out on their gods, their Elohim. And if you'll notice, each one of those plagues actually was an indictment or a judgment against one of the specific gods of Egypt at that particular time. So as an Elohim, Baal has a will. He has a will, he has a want. But Yahweh also has a will. And Yahweh's will, it's the strongest will. It is. I tell people that I believe in free will. Some people think that I don't, but I do. It's just that I also believe that Yahweh has free will. And I believe that if Yahweh wants to, He can usurp our will, and we have to bow to His. 
He can do what He wants to do. He is Yahweh. So if Yahweh wants to permit Baal to answer His prophets according to their idols, He may do so. But if Yahweh wants to shut up Baal, He has the power to do that as well. In this case, Baal remains silent because Yahweh is showing who the most powerful Elohim is. As Moses said, who is like you, Yahweh, among the Elohim? Now, I want to move on to the next part of my sermon, the part that I'm a little more excited about. And that's this, that after Elijah made his sarcastic remarks, Baal's prophets took him up on the offer for the contest. They'd been praying morning till noon. They did their hobble around their altar all morning. But now they shout louder when Elijah mocks them in sarcasm. They shout louder. Verse 28 says that they even cut themselves with knives and spears until their own blood gushed out upon them. All afternoon they chanted and performed their rituals, but they did not receive any answer from Baal. This is how heathens pray. This is how heathen people pray. Think about this. This is around what we would call, in our modern vernacular, approximately about six hours, maybe more, of praying, hobbling, chanting, shouts, and gashes in the flesh to the point that blood is coming out of their body and it's running down their their skin. This was the mindset of the heathens when they prayed. Talk more, talk louder, and you'll be able to get more attention from your mighty one. And this mindset, I believe, tends to trickle down into the minds of many believers or many Christians today, including myself. But it ought not be. It ought not be. Now, I have a lot of memories growing up in church as a little boy. That's all I've ever known. And if I told you, if I sat here and told you some of the stories, some of the memories that I had, some of them would sound more like what the prophets of Baal did here than what Elijah does next. People believe that the louder that they would shout, the more that the Lord would listen. The more frantic it got inside of the church, the more the Lord paid attention and the more the Lord moved. I remember one Pentecost Sunday. That's what they called it. We really didn't celebrate Pentecost growing up, but they called it Pentecost Sunday. We had a service, and I was a teenager, and I had just began to study the Bible for myself. I think I had been dating Tisha for six to eight months at the time. I can't remember exactly. But there were many churches gathered together in our home church sanctuary and a visiting preacher was asked to pray. And this preacher went on for at least five minutes, maybe close to ten, and mostly he would just repeat certain phrases over and over and over. He would raise his voice, he would lower his voice, very dramatic. And the more dramatic he got, the more that the crowd of people was packed out that day, probably over a thousand people in the church, the more the crowd loved it. But something did not feel right in my spirit. Because in my Bible reading, when I started to study the Bible for myself, in my Bible reading, I read something that we're going to read here in just a moment. And it just didn't seem to fit what this preacher was doing, no matter how many people were enjoying what he was doing that day. Now, when the visiting preacher got through praying, everybody clapped, and one of our home pastors took the microphone and said this. I'll never forget it. He said, boy, does that brother know how to pray. And everybody shouted, 
and clapped even louder when the home preacher said that. Now, I've grown older since then, but every time that I think of that teenage memory, I can't help but think of the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. That's what comes to my mind. Why would I, why would you, want to carry over into the biblical scriptural faith a heathen mentality of prayer? Now, I'm not saying that corporate prayer is always wrong. I can show you places where men of Israel led a congregation in prayer out loud. 1 Kings 8, King Solomon is one that comes to mind. What I am saying is that followers of Yahweh should not carry heathen baggage over into their prayer life. Prayer is man speaking to the Almighty. It's not man talking to other men. So when I lead us in prayer before the sermon each week over the requests that have been given, I should not be concerned with what you all think about how I sound or how I speak. I should not be attempting to impress anybody or make myself sound like I'm some sort of verbal scholar, which if you hadn't found out by now, I'm not. (laughs) Somebody heard me talk for the first time the other day, and they said, I had no idea that you had a southern accent. I said, well, I sure got one. It comes from my mama and my grandmama and granddaddy who did a lot of rearing of me. I am who I am. I'm thankful for my southern accent. I am who I am. I can't change what Yahweh, how Yahweh put me, how Yahweh made me. I didn't make that decision. He did. I also should not think that Yahweh will hear me more if I talk louder, shout harder, say more hallelujahs, or sweat and pound my fist. None of that gets Yahweh's attention. That's a heathen mentality that we've carried over into biblical faith. Now, let me be honest with you. I'm still working on this in my life. I still find myself sometimes praying to Yahweh like I saw and heard other people praying when I grew up. Now, all of the examples weren't bad. I saw some good examples of prayer warriors in my life growing up. And I'm thankful for my upbringing, very thankful for my parents. But sometimes, when you take the man out of the tradition, it's harder to take the tradition out of the man. Amen? Now, I want you to listen to this illustration that I have here in my notes. It's a cartoon depiction of what it would sound like if we talk to our wife the way that we often talk to Yahweh. I don't know if you can see this, but this is, a, this is supposed to be a little man speaking to his wife. His wife's about to go to the grocery store. His wife's name is Emily. And at the bottom it says, if we talk to people the way we talk to God, and this is what this man says. He says, Emily wife, could you just, just pick up some milk, Emily wife? While you're at the store, just go ahead, Emily wife, and just just go to the milk section, Emily. Just grab some milk, Emily, and just just place it right in your cart, wife. Emily wife, just thank you, Emily wife. Now that's so funny. And I smiled and I laughed when I saw it come across my social media feed about a year ago. But it's so true. I find myself, Brother Matthew's talking about himself, I find myself repeating words in prayer sometimes out of habit, saying the same things over and over again because that's how I heard people pray my entire childhood. And when you grow up one way, if it's wrong, if it's a tradition, it's hard to get the tradition out of the man. 
even though the Bible is very, very blatantly against it. Now, if you make notes in your Bible like I do, in this section on 1 Kings 18 and the prayer of Baal's prophets, 25 through 29, write down a little note as we turn there and write down Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. I like the cross-reference notes that you get in Bibles that you buy, but I'm like Brother Arnold a long time ago. He used to have a little Bible when I first met him, and the pages were all coming out, and he had put tape around the first page of Genesis because he had held it so much. And he said, he told me, he said, I like to make my own reference notes. And that stuck with me, and I've made my own reference notes since I was 16 years old. So put Matthew 6, 5 through 8, beside 1 Kings 18. And sometimes we wonder as we go here to close the lesson out today. Sometimes we wonder, how should we pray? Has anybody ever thought, how should we pray? I thought that. I still think that. How am I supposed to pray, Yahweh? Well, this is one of those great times when we ask that question and we get a direct answer from the Messiah. And we know it has to be a true answer because it's our Messiah. Now, he starts in verse 5 and he says this, that whenever you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrite means a pretender, a play actor. He goes on to say, because they love to pray standing in the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you they have their reward. Now, Yeshua tells us that there are people who you will hear pray and they sound like they're devout. They sound like they're righteous. They look the part. They sound the part. I've often told people that if you were to see in the first century, if you lived in the first century, in that culture, and you were to see a Pharisee, you would think there goes one of the most righteous men in Jerusalem. But Yeshua says they're the most unrighteous men in Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 23. So they look the part, they sound the part, and you would think by hearing them pray that they're in good standing with Yahweh because they can say all the words just right, pronounce everything properly. But Yeshua says that they're praying to be seen by people. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. And then he says they have their reward, and that's it. That's their reward, the praises of men. That's the reward that they have. People applaud their piety. People clap. People say, what a good prayer they are. That's their reward. They get the reward of being praised by other people. But then Yeshua says in verse 6, but when you pray, talking to his disciples, remember he's on the mount in Galilee. It's the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 all the way to the end of Matthew 7. It's one long sermon, probably the best sermon ever preached. He's sitting there on the mountain. He's not standing up. He doesn't have a pulpit. He's got his sandals on and his robe on. His hair's probably disheveled, probably don't smell the best. And he's just sitting on a mountain and he's talking to the crowds about life, about how to live. It's beautiful. This is, our, this is our master. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now what a contrast. Nobody is watching. No one is listening. There's no crowd, no audience, no fanfare. It's just you talking to Father Yahweh. And Yeshua says, when you pray to Yahweh in secret, Yahweh will openly reward you. He will give you a reward for seeking His attention instead of the praises of man. I believe that it hurts 
Yahweh's feelings to see us strain for the attention of others instead of His attention. All through Scripture, I read that Yahweh has feelings. The Bible says He can be grieved. The Bible says He can be pleased. Yahweh has feelings. It hurts Yahweh's feelings when He sees His people try to get the attention of men rather than His. So when we enter into our private room, and literally that means a storage room, a closet, or a place of privacy, it's somewhere where you wouldn't normally live. But you go in there into your closet and you close the door and you pray in secret. You only speak to Him. When you do that, He sees that you love Him. You seek His attention. You want to honor Him. If you want to get Yahweh's attention, brothers and sisters, you don't have to be flamboyant. All you need to do is be humble. And that brings us to Yeshua's next instructions in verses 7 through 8, where He says, When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters or the heathens, since they imagine they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. Don't babble like the idolaters. That sounds a lot like the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18, doesn't it? Sounds a whole lot like it to me. Don't babble on and on. Don't speak words over and over and over. I think the King James calls it vain repetitions. See, Yahweh is not a mighty one like Baal. Yahweh doesn't have to be woke up. He listens to you when you humbly come before Him in the privacy of your closet, where your clothes are, your storage room, where your facilities are. He listens to you. When you are brokenhearted, that's when Yahweh is near. When you are repentant, He listens. When you say something as simple as the publican, Yahweh have mercy upon me, for I am a sinner, you go home justified in His sight, because you're humble. And you recognize He's way up here, and you're not. Yahweh is not looking for prayers that impress other people. He's looking for people that have stopped trying to impress anyone, including Him. I want you to catch this. This seems backward, but you will impress Yahweh when you stop trying to impress Yahweh. What is man or the Son of Man to the Almighty? Brother Job said in 25 and 6 that we are but a maggot or a worm in His sight. Even the stars and the moon are not pure in Yahweh's sight, Job said. Yeshua says that Yahweh knows the number of every hair on my head. You ever stop and think about that? I was riding down the road between jobs the other day and I thought, Yahweh, I can't believe you know exactly the numbers of hair, hairs on my head. And yours too. That's amazing. That blows my mind. I mean, just meditate on that one day. Psalm 147 says that Yahweh is not impressed by the strong horse or the power of a man, but He values those who fear Him. We cannot impress Yahweh unless we stop trying to impress Him. Then He sees, He is pleased with our humility and our brokenness, and He answers and He rewards us out in the open when we pray to Him in secret. Yeshua tells us why. Listen to this. 
Yeshua tells us why we should not babble and use many words, vain repetitions, when we pray to our Father. He tells us that it's because our Father already knows the things that we need before we ever ask Him. Now, that's a confidence booster to Brother Matthew. Because I don't always know how to pray, what to pray, feel like praying, but I know when I go in my closet, I don't have to be flamboyant, I don't have to shout louder, I don't have to cut myself like the prophets of Baal, I don't have to hobble around. I just talk to Him like I would my daddy. And He already knows what I need. So if I forget something, He's already got my prayer list. If I take my prayer list in there with me, and sometimes I do, I take the one that I write here and I, and I pray over that list. If I forget somebody, if I forget Carla, Yahweh already knows. He already knows it was in my heart. If I forget Muriel, Sister Lisa's mother, Yahweh already knows she was on my heart. He's already got my prayer list. That's a confidence booster to me. <laughs> Because I mess up a lot. But Yahweh never messes up. So when you kneel down in secret and you pray humbly to Yahweh, find comfort in the fact that He already knows all of your needs. He's already got them, he's already got them all figured out. He already knows. And He's not up there in heaven wanting you to repeat words over and over and over. That doesn't get His attention. He just wants you to surrender to Him. I surrender to you, Father. I admit that I will be lost without your help. That's what He wants. That's what He wants, total surrender. I heard a message one time that lifting up the hands, that's one of the meanings of lifting up our hands to Yahweh is I surrender to you, Yahweh. Not just praise, not just adoration, but I surrender. I can't do this on my own. So I hope that you find comfort in this tonight. I hope that you maybe find a peace that you haven't had in a while. Or maybe you've never had peace about this. Well, let me encourage you this evening. Yahweh is not looking for the spectacular or the extraordinary. He's just looking for the ordinary. He just wants you to bring all of your brokenness to Him. He already knows, saints. He already knows. So be released by the authority of Yahweh's Word. Be released from that bondage of thinking that you've got to say exactly the right things or sound so intelligent or measure up to somebody righteous in the Scriptures. None of us, none of us measure up to Yeshua. None of us do. That should be our goal. But I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, even on my best days, I still don't lay in my bed and think, well, I kept all the commandments perfectly today. I've never thought that. My hope is in Yeshua the Messiah. My hope is in the in Him. None of us measure up to Him. So, it's okay. You're okay. Yahweh knows. He already knows. He's a loving Father. And the sooner that you realize that and you admit that, the sooner your prayer life is going to sound not like the prophets of Baal, not like the Pharisees, not like the idolaters, but it's going to sound a lot like Matthew 6, 9-15. through 15. And I'd like us to stand today And I'm going to end with this prayer of Yeshua's. He taught us how to pray to the Father. Let us pray. Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who trespass against us.
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're dismissed in the fear of Yahweh.